You're going against everything that the gospel calls you to do to uh, prepare to meet God that sounds right, repent of your sin that sounds right, come to faith in Jesus, in his work that he accomplished on the cross when he became a curse for you, and it sounds right, but you put it off. And procrastination is really a device that is based in unbelief. It is based in that deep-seated reticence, unreadiness to put your trust completely and personally in the Lord Jesus. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and it is a real privilege to bring you the message of the gospel from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale, British Columbia. And today we're looking again at deadly devices from Proverbs chapter 12. If you have your Bible today, turn with us please to Proverbs chapter 12 and let us learn how the, the Lord commands us to walk in the light and in the knowledge of Christ. We have a great hymn today sung by our Reformation Choir, all people that on earth do dwell. This is a classic, and it stirs the soul every time we sing it, and it invites every voice, every tongue to sing the name of Jesus and praise him. We have another moment in Mark today, and we'll be looking at the demon that was cast out by the power of the Lord. So stay tuned as we turn to our pulpit ministry here in our Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale as we come to Proverbs chapter 12 to let the Bible speak. Well, as the victory came and the walls of Jericho fell flat and they conquered the city and they took the spoil, one man got his eyes on a wedge of gold and a Babylonish garment. Babylonish and Jericho. Oh, yes, there was intertrading. There was intermingling. And this beautiful, exotic garment caught his eye. What did he do with it? Well, he knew the ban on taking the spoil, and so he took it and hid it with his stuff in the tent. And all the while, God's curse was now upon the people because of this man's sin that he had hidden up. It became exposed when they went out against the little town of Ai. Ai was so small in comparison to Jericho, and so they sent but a small little army to try and defeat it. But indeed, Israel came back in defeat. And when Joshua and others sought to discover the reason for the defeat, it was exposed that there was one who had taken the accursed thing. And so they went searching and they brought tribe by tribe and made them pass in front of Joshua and others, and then family by family, until the family of Achan was taken, and he was found out. There was search made of his tent, and there was the accursed thing. And for that, Achan and his family were stoned to death. They came under judgment for hiding 
the accursed thing. Proverbs, not this chapter, but 28 says, He that covereth the sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And in this chapter of referring to the wicked man's devices, we have a promise and we have a warning. If you follow the twisted device of denying your sin, covering up your sin, you will not prosper. But if you forsake your sin, if you confess it, then you shall be forgiven. Now, why is this? Just as that widow who lost her husband in that flight that crashed in the field in 9-11, who said, there is a greater judgment day. Ecclesiastes tells us, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so I call you to think hard about that secret thing, that thing in your life that may bring you under the curse, that theft, that thought, that attitude, that carnal, wicked response, that mark that deeply stains and takes sleep from your eyes and peace from your soul, Is it possible that there is something in your heart unconfessed? Now again, I bring you to the Lord Jesus, because the life of Christ always exposed sin. He said these words in John 3 and verse 19, that evil men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so sin brings this curse upon us. We become like Achan, living continually with this accursed thing that is bringing the disfavor and the wrath of God. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament in Galatians 3, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But the good news is, and this and I want you to see this. I want you to see that this is not just a preacher's hobby or a personal agenda. This is the gospel. And the gospel is law remedied by grace. We are all born into the world under the moral law, but the grace delivers us from the condemnation and brings us into the liberty of salvation. How does that happen? Because at Calvary, Jesus was made a curse 
for us. He who knew no curse, because his life was perfect, his life was sinless, he on that cross, the sins of his people were stacked upon him. And God the Father judged his son. Your sins, my sins, in the body of Christ who took the curse to set us free. And this is the good news of the gospel. But if you hide your sin, you cannot prosper. But whoso forsaketh it and confesseth it shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. What's device number three now? Well, it's hoping against hope. This is the device used by what we might say the non-thinking person. He says, I don't want to think about it, but I hope. I just hope. And I'm not going to do anything, and I'm not going to listen to anymore, but I'm just going to hope against hope that it will all work out. If you ask them, do you think that you're going to escape death? They will say, yes. I hope I will. They hope perhaps that there is no life after death, that the grave will be the end. And many fight this all their days. They go along to a funeral and they stare at the casket being lowered into the, the earth. And funerals are mighty sermons. Funerals speak in ways that no message could come from a pulpit. It reminds us all that we in the flesh are dying and will go into eternity. Those who hope against hope, they hope that there will be no hell. All of that's rubbish. All of that's old school, old-fashioned hat. There's no reality to this idea of a burning lake with eternal fire where men gnash their teeth night and day. Such a horror story is unbecoming in our modern age. They hope also that there's no judgment day, no white bema seat, no day when all of their life will be replayed as on a video exposing everything they have done and said. Now again, I go to the Lord Jesus, and I'm deliberately doing this today. What did Christ say about life after death? Well, in John 14, we have these great words, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, if there was no life beyond this world, if there was no heaven, if there was no home, I would have told you. Why? Because his ministry was truthful. And yet our Lord Jesus actually preached more on hell than he did on heaven. He preached more about the wrath to come than he did the glory that was to come. To our Lord Jesus, a home in heaven with God is an absolute certainty. And he who is the divine teacher who spoke truth did not deceive nor delude in all of 
the matter. He spoke in John 14 as if he had gone to prepare a place for the homecoming of his people. Just as a mother may prepare a homecoming for her son who has been off to university, and these more modern days of travel along stretches may not have been the case, but in older times, when someone went off to higher education and university, they maybe traveled to another city, and you didn't see them until the course was finished. And there would be a wonderful day of homecoming, and the family would be there at the train station to greet them, welcome them into the home, the table would be set, a meal would be prepared, the bedroom would be furnished, the light would be on. There was preparation for the homecoming. And in John 14, Jesus spoke in these wonderful terms, I go to prepare a place for you, that I may receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Is there life after death? Jesus said, If it were not so, I would have told you. If it is not so, then all of Christ's ministry was a deception. I want you to have that hope. I really do. I'm not here just to preach tough things. I'm here that you might have this wonderful hope of a home, a life beyond the grave, peace with God, all the joy that comes to fellowship with a holy, happy God. That's the gospel message. I would hate to attend your deathbed and you not ready for heaven. I would hate to preside at your funeral without any assurance that you have made your peace with God through Christ. That's how important this is. Now, the fourth device that we must wrap up with here today is procrastination. When you challenge certain men and women about the urgent need to be saved, that they need to flee to the cross for salvation instantly, uh, they say, someday, perhaps. And they hope that God will always give them the call of the Spirit in their hearts. And you become a procrastinator. When I thought about this and I walked the room thinking, how am I going to illustrate this? How am I going to impress this point? And I thought on a man called King Agrippa. King Agrippa, who was a Roman uh, and a great authority, he was invited to hear the testimony of Paul the Apostle. And Paul had already spoken to Felix and given his, his whole story. And then he gave it again to Agrippa. And he preached and spoke of his hope in the risen Lord Jesus. And Agrippa was moved. And he said to Paul, almost, almost, you persuade me to be a Christian, almost. And Paul, with his quick retort, said, I wish that not only almost, but that altogether you become a Christian. But Agrippa procrastinated, and he went away without receiving the Savior. You see, the procrastinator runs from reality. 
You're going against everything that the gospel calls you to do to pre, uh, prepare to meet God that sounds right, repent of your sin that sounds right, come to faith in Jesus, in his work that he accomplished on the cross when he became a curse for you, and it sounds right, but you put it off. And procrastination is really a device that is based in unbelief. It is based in that deep-seated reticence, unreadiness to put your trust completely and personally in the Lord Jesus. I want you to know, when I come again to Christ's life, he was not a procrastinator. Jesus came into this world to do the will of the Father, and he came with joy to do it. When he was 12 years old, he said to his mother, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And I can see in that boy the eagerness that is in many boys for their life's career to begin. But he waited until 30 years till he was baptized. And he said, Suffer it to be so now, that I may fulfill all righteousness. And he went out into the wilderness, tempted of the devil, and he triumphed over the devil there and began preaching the kingdom of God. His first sermon was, Repent, repent. And then he set his face as a flint to Jerusalem, the place of his crucifixion. On the night of his arrest, while he was able to resist all by throwing them to the ground, yet he told Peter, put up your sword. And he was led away as a lamb to the slaughter, voluntarily to be interrogated and later to be nailed to the cross. And in Hebrews, we are told that he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He took such delight in taking the place of sinners to wash away their sins in his blood, to give them atonement that would cover over their sin from the sight of God. He took such delight in that that he did not stall hold back, but gave himself to be our Redeemer. And yet here today, some will not put their trust in him. The one who was so ready to save you, and you are so reluctant to trust him. Procrastination is really the device of the wicked. It tells us just how deep-seated the unbelief is in your heart, that against every opportunity, every mercy, you still reject him. Whatever you do in this world, and however successful you might think you have been in covering over your devices, remember this, there is a judgment day. You may act the hypocrite for a while, you may hide things for a while. You may be almost persuaded and then procrastinate. But there's one day you'll stand before God and must give account. And then you will need a Savior. Then you will need one to speak for you to clear your name. 
If you're a Christian today and you are saved, you have one who will speak for you. Who shall lay any charge against God's elect? It is Christ that died. No charge. That's the answer on the judgment day for the Christian. No charge. For the procrastinator, for the hypocrite, for the hider, for the almost persuaded, it's not going to be a happy day. The wicked. You'll see how the Proverbs distinguishes between the wicked and the righteous. We look at men horizontally and we say, well, how tall are they? How rich are they? How renowned or famous are they? But with God, there's just one vertical difference. The righteous, the wicked. The redeemed, the sinful. The believer, the unbeliever. The saved and the unsaved. The sheep and the goats. That's how Jesus put it. On which side are you? Are you the wicked? Notwithstanding all your devices, notwithstanding all your performance, or are you truly saved? Coming, confessing that you are a sinner, a failure, and you run to Christ to be your Savior. You boast in Him. You rejoice in His work, His mercy. And you live trusting, resting in His grace for eternal life. That's salvation. And I want you to have that. I want you to have that. I want you to be sure of heaven. Will you come and believe? A moment in the Gospel of Mark. Here we have a man in the synagogue who was demon-possessed. We're told in Mark 1.22, 
and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. A man with an unclean spirit? We ought to be thankful that it was just one man. It is rather surprising to discover that a man attending a synagogue was demon-possessed. From the very commencement of the Lord's ministry, devils were to be cast out. Mark, we read here and discover, believed in the existence of devils and their evil works. The Lord Jesus also recognized the existence of demons and their evil work in the hearts and bodies of men. All world cultures have a history of belief in evil spirits. Many consider evil spirits to be the spirits of the dead. The Bible is clear that demons are fallen angels. They are under the control of Satan, having been cast out with him. All communication with devils was banned outright in the Old Testament. The Lord warned his people of the lure to copy the nations that worshiped devils when they entered the promised land. The church was advised by the Apostle Paul in his treatise on the Christian armor to be aware of the evil work of Satan and his minions. He spoke of the principalities and the powers of the air, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. He also added witchcraft to a list of evils of the flesh. Sorcerers are listed among those who are cast into the lake of fire, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. So we can expect the work of the devil in the world unto the end of the age. We learn that we are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood or human strength, but with superhuman beings. This is the reason for so many difficulties in the Christian life and in gospel work. This ought to drive us all the more to the Lord, who keeps us dependent upon his keeping power, as he alone can give us the victory over the devil and his minions. For this reason, we ought to be leaning on the Lord, not walking in our own ways, following the lusts of the flesh, but rather living in the fear of the Lord and seeking his protection at all times. We're thankful that we learn here that Jesus has power over the devil and over every demon because he cast him out. Hallelujah! Jesus is a mighty Savior. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so today rejoice that there's victory in Jesus. Run, pray, seek his face, and plead the power of the Lord in your own life and soul. You today. are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.